Hey, everybody. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 24 of the show, where we are continuing our journey through the early adventures of all of our Marvel heroes. And we are in the month of May, 1963. Uh, it seems like 1963 is kind of flying by. Yeah, that's good, I guess. I mean, we've been covering, we've been good. doing about three three books an episode, so that gets us through a month every two episodes, about. Yeah, yeah. That's not bad. I think we should just try to try to keep that pace going. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be launching into this month with, um, of the first week of the July, uh, May 2nd comics, the one that takes place the earliest is the one that takes place in World War II. So literally it takes place the earliest. Right. And that is, of course, if you don't know, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number two. So we debuted, uh, wow, what is it, like two episodes ago now or maybe more than that? Four? Well, it's three? bi-monthly right now. So oh, it's yeah. Been, yeah, probably four feels episodes like it's, back. Feels like it's been a while and we were introduced to all these cool characters whose names I still don't know. Um, but luckily I have to summarize it, so that shouldn't be a problem. Um, and it was made by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and it's called The Seven Doomed Men with an exclamation point. They must be talking about Germans because these guys end up okay. But um, <laughs> so it starts out. I got to stop looking at Nick Fury's face because he's distracting me. All right. For those who don't, he's so handsome. For those who don't know, because we don't talk about it that often, but we try and do these summaries without looking. So it's my turn. I'm going to try and just remember what I read. And it starts out with Sergeant Fury and Dum Dum Dugan and the other guys whose names I don't know that are called the Howling Commandos. And they're all again in this French Resistance city. Or something like that. And their mission is to distract the Germans that are there while boats come along and blow up all the submarines that they have stationed there, yes. I guess. So it's like a submarine facility or something like a that. French, a French coastal town. French coastal town full of German subs. And so Nick Fury and his boys do that successfully. They go through a bunch of hijinks and they get everybody to look the – basically the entire – town full of Germans attacks these seven guys and they make it. And while they're not looking, their submarines get blown up and then they all go back home and are excited about the rest they're going to get. But unfortunately, um, either captain or general Sam Sawyer, their leader, um, who captain, captain Sam Sawyer, who yells better than Nick Fury, summons Nick Fury into his office to yell at him, scream at him really, and tell him that there's actually another mission that they have to turn around and go to right now. And that is, Somewhere in Germany, they're, or they've known for a while that the Germans are working on uh, their own Manhattan Project, a.k.a. Uh, nuclear bomb. And they've figured out that they're at the point where they're bringing in a bunch of hard water, which I guess is like the last step or one of the last steps in making a bomb like this. So that's not good news. So we're going to send Nick Fury and his boys over there to destroy all that. So, uh, yeah, so they all dress up like... German fishermen, I think, and they get a, on a German fishing boat and make their way through the waters until they hit um, an actual German military vessel who asks them for their papers and they jump on board and shoot them and kill them all. Then they take over that boat and they make it to Germany and they're walking into Germany when they get asked for their papers again. So then they start shooting again. Um, and at this point, all the guys kind of spread out and try and hide in the city. Unfortunately, Dum Dum doesn't make it because he's busy 
trying to help one of their slower members whose names I don't remember, but he got shot or fell or something like that. So Dum Dum being the hero, Dum Dum being the hero that he is, pushes that kid away and takes on the German guys by himself, and he gets captured. So that's not good. And then Nick Fury and all his team like reconnoiter, and they're like, "Let's go save Dum Dum." And Nick's like, "No, we have a mission. You guys should know better. We can't just let one guy's." Life matter in the grand scheme of things. We're trying to stop a nuclear war. And they're like, yeah, you're right, Nick. What were we thinking? He's like, now you're thinking like generals. What are we going to do? We're going to stop the bomb. No, we're going to go save Dum Dum, you idiots. So he goes to save Dum Dum. Um, they break him out. And as they're leaving, they think, you know what would be smarter is if we all just surrender right now. And then they'll send us to this um, concentration camp, which is right where we're supposed to be going. So they surrender through the geekiest looking uh, nerdy German they can find and that guy's all proud of himself because he captured seven Americans and the plan works they get shipped to this concentration camp and the first thing they do is split up and get guns for themselves and Fury blows up the munitions building because they always have to have all their power all their firepower in like one spot to be blown up I guess um, and they steal horses and they ride to this science camp place or wherever where they're building the bomb and they pull all the rods and stuff out of the machines because I really understand how nuclear power works and stuff. But, yeah, <laughs> and they, like, interrogate the uh, scientists to find out where the water is, and the water's coming in on these trains. So they blow up the trains, and then they basically make their way to these a submarine that what they call the German resistance um, agreed to, like, pick them up in. So they have people working on the inside for them. And once they get on the submarine, they make their way back home just in time as the uh, scientific, the science uh, lab or whatever uh, explodes because they monkeyed around with all their glow rods and stuff. Yeah, it was a nuclear uh, research place and they messed up the nuclear reaction. So they were able to get out of there and then the reactor went completely. So they basically nuclear bombed Germany and we just never knew about that. Right, exactly. So yeah, that was the end. That's how it ended. Uh, there's an interesting editor's note at the end. It says, it's a known fact that Adolf Hitler ordered an end to all atomic experiments before the end of the war. Could this have been the real reason? I don't, I don't think it was, but um, I, want, I want to congratulate you, Mike, because you actually pulled out some details of the plot that I had missed in my reading. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. So, you know, so many words on the page, you sort of skip a few. Oh, I, I, there's a lot of words in these in this particular book, I think. Yeah, because all seven guys get to talk all the time. Uh-huh. But before you before um, you move on though, is it really a known fact? Because I never I, I never heard that. Doesn't mean it's not I, true. Yeah, I don't know if um I don't I don't know World War II history detail enough to know that. Why would so, why would he do that? I don't know. I Hitler mean, is an because not not entirely a balanced individual. Might have had something to do with that. Or or he figured out he could get the Ark of the Covenant instead. So just just <laughs> focus your efforts on that. Right. It occurred to me when I was reading this, I read this around the same time that I read, I think it was Young Blood number two. Okay. Uh, and Young Blood number two has an opening scene with a character named Kirby. Oh. And he looks like Sergeant Fury with silver wavy hair. And Sergeant Fury looks like Kirby. And I, so I'm thinking that, you know, Sergeant Fury, we talked about in the first issue how he's sort of channeling your stereotypical drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. He's also kind of channeling Jack Kirby a bit. Oh, for sure. At least to the to, to an extent that like Jameson was channeling Stan Lee. So I think there's a little bit of similarity. I know that Jack Kirby was a very rough and ready kind of individual. There's stories about him like getting into fights on the streets on the way to work. I think any character like Nick Fury or The Thing 
where you could tell they're like guys who came from the street and they like cigars and often reference the Yancey street gang in some sort of negative way uh-huh. are all based off Kirby in some form or another. And so, yeah, I, I can go with that. Um, okay, so just going to the beginning of the story. Yeah, the idea is that this is a suicide mission and they were going to a lab that was at a concentration camp town. And so they weren't expected to survive. It wasn't, but, but they, they were successful. Well, um, I feel like they're going to say that every issue. Yeah. Because they did last so issue this, too. Like this is just, yeah, that, the fact that's my note on the first page that this is just one more suicide mission that we hope to survive. Right. Um, we do start out once again in Nazi occupied France. Mm-hmm. Now we ended last issue with the D Day initiative, which is when like the Allied powers landed on the coasts of France to start trying to liberate. So maybe this effort here is part of that initiative from last issue or to liberate France. I mean, we also ended with them in France last issue, right? So yeah. couldn't that D-Day just be a flat fat? That, that panel was like a fast, you know, some other day they do this kind of panel. So this could be directly after issue one. They're still going in France doing something else that they're told to do while they're there. Oh yeah. While they're there. And D-Day still hasn't happened yet for all we know. They're not going to give us exact dates on any of these stories, so we'll never know, I guess. No, the more they nail down specific events, the mm-hmm. I think that they, they're, they're going to jeopardize their chronology. Um, I was impressed at how much death is all over pages two through five. Oh, three in particular is pretty gruesome. Yeah. They, they throw a couple grenades in, and you can clearly see at least three guys in this house. They throw a couple grenades in, and then they close the shutters, and then there's just a big boom, and they're all dead. Right. There are buildings and vehicles and crowds. They're just destroying <laughs> this <laughs> with, uh, yeah. with people. This title is nothing if not all about action. Right. Um, we go into the camp and Sergeant Fury, you know, all of his guys are ready to have a break. And Fury realizes they're ready to have a break. But, you know, he's kind of hard on him. But then whenever he goes to stand before Happy Sam... Happy Sam says, you need to have to go back out there. And Fury is not happy. He's like, Captain, the guys are worn out physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I really like how he goes to bat for his men here. That's a sign of a good manager. Is on the one hand, you have to, when you're talking to your subordinates, you have to toe the company line. Mm-hmm. You can't go around with them and say like, yeah, that's a really dumb rule because then everybody will disrespect it and not follow it, right? Right. But on the other hand, when you're in the privacy with, with those people making that role, you're supposed to go to bat for your people. So It's like you're depending on which way you're facing, you're representing the other side. Right. If you're facing the lower ranks, you're representing the upper ranks. Mm-hmm. If you're facing your superior, you're representing your men. I also like that Sawyer can make him gulp, mm-hmm. though. That was interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's just a sergeant. He's, he's a non-commissioned officer. And this is a captain in the U.S. Army. So... Sergeant Fury definitely needs to stand at attention. <laughs> right. And he, and he out yells him, too. Some good stuff right there. Yeah. Um, okay. They, what is it? They, they talk about dumping. The, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Happy Sam says, because they're, they're after the heavy water. Now, I looked up heavy water. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know what heavy water is. It sounds like water that's um, heavy. It, it is. But, like, water should always weigh the same thing, right? So, heavy water. Water is H2O. Okay. Two hydrogens. And an oxygen. And in atomic um, methods, you are adding neutrons to your hydrogen atoms. Okay. And so H2O that is used with 
hydrogen atoms which have more neutrons, that's going to be more massive uh-huh. because every single hydrogen is either two or three times as massive. And so your overall water is going to be heavy. Now, uh, heavy water reacts very differently than water does, both chemically and um, you know in the ecology and everything. So whenever Happy Sam says... Without the heavy water, they won't be able to complete work on the new weapon. I don't care what you do with the water. You can pour it in the ocean. You can dump it down a well. The rest of the howlers can drink it, but get rid of it. It's 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 not the best idea. <laughs> so what they do is they throw their grenades at it, don't they? Yeah, they just blow it up. And so it does. So would that react badly too? I mean, theoretically, the idea is that if, if it's going to be disposed of, it's definitely going to be want to be diluted heavily because. Theoretically, there's always a percentage of hydrogen out there that is made up of these isotopes that have extra neutrons in them. Well, they do occur naturally. We're just trying to make more of them. I mean, if you blow up a train full of regular weighted water versus blow up a train full of neutron uh, water, would it make a bigger mm-hmm. explosion or would it matter? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. That's interesting. Where's our science guy? <laughs> Did you mention Dugan complaining about his wife? No. So Is this the first page- time he's talking about his wife? Yeah, page seven, panel six. He says, oh, whenever Fury wakes them up by shooting his machine gun into the tent, mm-hmm. Dugan's response is, Phew, for a minute, I thought I heard my Ugh, wife whispering to me. Oh, yeah. And then and this is uh, he like makes lots of references to his wife and everybody else does, too. Yeah, this is the first mention of Dugan's Ugh, wife. I love that. It's like, uh, well, you don't complain me. You don't. Catch me complaining any kind of mission. Any kind of mission is more peaceful than going back to my wife. And then I think it's Nick. It's hard to tell. But he says, I don't think you've got a wife. You, who'd marry an old walrus like you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have a lot of notes until page 11. Okay. And 11 is whenever – oh, yeah. It's whenever Junior gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so Dum Dum pushes Junior aside, tells him to go run ahead, and starts like – you know, covering for uh-huh. him. So he's so he's shooting and shooting and shooting, and he's hiding behind you know the the lamp post and everything. And he's like, uh, "Oh, for the love of, I'm running out of ammo." So he says, "When the ammo's gone, I can always throw the blamed gun." So he throws the gun and knocks out another guy. He says, "When the gun's gone, I ain't particular. I'll throw anything." He throws rocks at some more guys and says, "When there's nothing left to throw, I can always throw myself." And he just like tackles a bunch of soldiers that just i love oh yeah oh he's clearly established as the toughest guy on the team or maybe next to nick maybe next to nick fury but like this was a great scene yeah and then they love dum-dum they're also sad that he got captured oh that's a great scene too um (laughs) how like nick reminds them that they shouldn't go get dum-dum because that's not really what the mission's about and who cares about his one life compared to all these other lives and then he's like now you're now you're thinking like commandos you're blame well right. There's only one thing to do. Let's go get Dum Dum. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. The thing about this book is it's really, um, in addition to great art, I don't know. I mm-hmm. think between this and FF is where Kirby's putting all his love right now. Right. Um, it's very action heavy from beginning to like, at least the first two, they both open with you know, full on act. It's like a James Bond movie. You know, there's this, there's this mission they're wrapping up so they can get into the next one, you know? Right. Um, and it's hilarious all the way through. Yeah. I mean, in addition to the great art, Stan Lee is doing some great scripting. It's very heavily scripted, like we said earlier, mm-hmm. but the thing that makes this book fun is all of the character interactions. Mm-hmm. 
it's really, really fun to read. Like when they go rescue Dum Dum, they've got this whole table of Germans like celebrating their victory. And then like Nick Fury just kind of is standing behind them. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) And they're like, huh? And then he just blows them all the way with a machine gun. Right. Just like totally guns them down. More death. But humorous death. I don't know. It's it keeps reminding me of like a TV show that I've seen or something, but I can't nail what it is I'm thinking of. So, yeah, I don't know it what it is. Familiar. It just seems like, you know, we've seen these movies or TV shows where war is like fun, even though it's horrible. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Moving to page 14 mm-hmm. um, on the second panel, Junior says, hey, Sarge, if you won't jump down my throat for saying it, I got an idea how to get to Heinemund. And he says, if you won't jump down my throat, but it's kind of justified because he did get yelled at by Dum Dum for a suggestion earlier in the book. And, and Dino got yelled at for making a suggestion from Fury. So, um, well, he, I just thought it was kind of funny. He does like to yell. Yes. He does. He does like to yell. Okay. Um, we have them get captured. They go to the concentration camp. Uh, the concentration camp is like adjacent to the factory, the, 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 the nuclear place they're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. I don't think factory is the right word. Lab, maybe. I don't know. Research center. I know. I um, kept struggling for that, too. And I can't remember what they called it. Development Center. Weapons Development Center. I found it interesting. They were educating kids about concentration camps. They were terrible without necessarily going into the grisly details they, that might be inappropriate for younger readers. I mean, it's clearly a prison of some sort. They don't uh-huh. They don't say it's full of Jews or anything like that. But it does show like weak-looking people, you know, emancipated-looking people laying in their beds and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, emaciated, emaciated. What did I say? Emancipated, emancipated. <laughs> that's that's the opposite of what it shows. Yeah, no, right. Emaciated. Yes. Um, um, so it doesn't really talk about how so, they're wiping yeah, out it, a people it's, per it's, se. It's a but, pretty mature topic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kirby, yeah, again, is Jewish. Yeah. And Lee and Lee. Yes. So I don't know. But this is 1963. So maybe by now, don't they know that what a concentration camp is or is that still? You know, I don't know. It's 1963. You've got young readers in a, in a more conservative time. They might not have really learned about it much yet. Yeah. But I'm a little bit torn on the whole sequence because they get out of the concentration camp really easily. I know. I, I actually kind of like that. I don't know why. Maybe just because these are the elite. These are elite, elite, elite. They survive every suicide mission, elite soldiers. So, like, one dude with a gun is nothing to them. They just <laughs> disarm him like he's nothing. Right. And then... Work their way through, and uh, and they're not worn down physically and psychologically, so maybe they right. have a bit of an advantage over everyone else. Right, right, right. It just seems like if, they, if it were this easy to get out of concentration camps, then then maybe they wouldn't have been as much of a thing. It's not this easy. It's just that it's Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. So yeah, I don't know. Dino on a horse is not having a good time. Um, well, no, he's having he's having a really good time. He's like, look at me, I'm a regular Gene Autry. They went that away. It's just like. Have have you never been on a horse before? Is this is this new for you? Well, has he? I don't know. It's just like oh. in life. Oh yeah, I don't know. I've never ridden a horse. Well, I know. Have you never ridden a horse before? If I have, it was a really long time ago at some sort of like you know petting zoo or something. I've never just gotten a horse and ridden it to a German scientific lab or anything. Okay, okay. You know how to ride a horse? I'm not like skilled in riding, but I've I've been on horses. Okay. I don't know. Um, I don't think I could just jump on the back of a horse and be ready to go. No. But. Um, they scare me. They have big eyes. Anyway, they are kind of terrible, especially if like 
they're really pretty from the side and oh. as they're running and everything. Oh, yeah. But if they're running at you, that's really frightening. Plus, you're riding something that has its own brain. Right. So it's like, that what is if weird. they just decide, you know what, I'm going to roll over right now. I just feel like it. Okay. I'm going to go this way. Stop tugging on my face. I'm going this way. Right. Um, at the bottom, Rebel shouts out, stay back, boys. Just let old Reb handle this the way Jeb Stewart would have done it. Um, J.E.B. Stewart was a Confederate general in the Civil War. Okay. So um, I think things would be a little bit different about making that reference in a modern comic. Maybe not. We do have a middle school named after him here in Jacksonville, Florida. So that's that's a thing that exists. And it is. Oh, um, yeah. That stuff still exists. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a little bit weird. Yeah. Not for 63, I guess. Not, I guess. Page 20, lots more deaths. No, just like, page 20. Yeah, before page 20. Oh, we could talk about it. Let's talk about those after. The two splash pages are kind of cool. But yeah, lots more deaths. Um, I'm glad he didn't gun down the scientists. I think that might have been uh, a little too cruel, maybe, because they don't have guns or anything. But uh, they didn't. Yeah. I thought they were they're going to. Spraying with machine I guns. I thought they were going to, because there's that one panel where all their machine guns are pointed at them. Um, they just kill them all. Well, they kill them all with the, the explosion later anyway. Yeah, that's true. But leaving the Nazi scientists their own devices, they do they do not kill them right away. Maybe they escaped. Maybe not. I like the next page but, where Dum Dum and two Germans are like in the same pit uh-huh. to avoid the train uh, explosion, <laughs> and then they look at each other and they're like, "Hey, how, what? Who? Huh?" And then, yeah, right, get into a fight. That's fun. But the the follow up on that scene is kind of what we're going to get more of. So on the top of page twenty two, he jumps out of the pit. And starts shooting down into the pit. Mm-hmm. He says, um, and so maybe he shoots those guys. Maybe he just shot near them. The art suggests one thing, but the dialogue another. Um, yeah, I think they're dead. He tells them to drop their guns. Well, he says, okay, drop your guns and get lost. Oh, so they're not so dead. Maybe he just chased them away. Yeah, that's weird. They went to another dimension. Because <laughs> <laughs> like... In so many science fiction shows, when your favorite characters get blasted by a disintegrator beam, uh-huh. it turns out half an hour later to have been a transmat beam. They just got beamed somewhere else. Yeah. So maybe they did just get transported to another dimension. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else. There's a lot more death on page 23 because they nuclear bomb an entire town. I like that there's um, German underground. <gasps> oh, wait a second. Mike. What? This installation was right next to a concentration camp. And they blew it up with a nuclear explosion. Well, that's what I'm wondering is like, there's no, that's really rewriting history when you make something nuclear go off. Yeah. That's a big deal. And, and yeah, like there's no way that a neighboring concentration camp would have survived. And it says as a strange, mysterious mushroom cloud. Now, wait a minute though. If they never got the hard water, how did that happen? Wasn't that an crucial ingredient to whatever to make this happen? Well, they're doing nuclear stuff. They they haven't made a bomb yet. Okay. And that's what. Dum Dum knocked over. Yeah. yeah, they can do nuclear pile. They can do nuclear reactions. They just haven't been able to turn into a bomb yet. And and yeah, um, but yeah, it was it was a fun story. I, I I'm not sure if I liked it more or less than the first one. Um, well, that's what I was gonna say. It's like both of them were kind of the same for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping, and I don't know this, that it's not you know 100 issues of just this all the time because that'll get old eventually. Right now, I still like yeah. it. But like, yeah, there's some there's some dramatic development. There you go. I want over, I want over, some over more like character because right now they're just throwing names at each other and no one's really grounded yet. Right. Uh, we will actually be losing some howlers along the way. People do get ki- killed in this comic. I mean, I'm not going to say who or when. Probably Nick Fury and Dum Dum. <laughs> um, but there were those two. Now 
I'm using the digital Marvel Masterworks. Mm-hmm. And just for the record for listeners, if Comixology has an epic collection or have a Marvel Masterwork uh, available, that's the source I'm using. You're using different sources. Were these two splash pages in the middle of the story? Yeah. Well, the one, the okay. gun one is at the end. Okay. And then the and the the uh, the enemy that was was like between pages nineteen and twenty. Okay. Do you want to describe these? So the enemy that what they did this in the last issue. They talked about you know the various guns of of all the different countries, which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a precursor to official handbook to the Marvel Universe or something. Um, right. This one's called the Enemy That Was, and it's just a big splash page of a German uh, infantryman, and it just talks about. You know, kind of – well, first of all, it breaks down like what they would carry. So it talks about their mess kit and their, uh, you know, rations and their ammo and their canteen and their helmet and their gun and their other gun and their potato masher grenade. And then it also talks about how um, they were really known for their – how they would counterattack if they were pushed back um, and they were constantly on the move. Uh, I thought it was actually a surprisingly flattering <laughs> treat. That's what I was going to say. Like, I don't know if they were just trying to play up how villainous they were because they were so scary. But they didn't say bad things about them. They said like very tough things about them. Like they were very tough yeah. people. After you spend an entire story demonizing Nazis, to have this page that like kind of puts a more uh, pleasant, reasonable portrait of a German soldier. And the word Nazi is not used on this page once. It's the German soldier, the German soldier. Mm-hmm. He was, he behaved well. He was tough, well-disciplined. Um, I think it's a really, you know, classy way of balancing out your story with, with uh, you know, mm-hmm. way of representing the actual people. Yeah, exactly. And then the other one was just more of the gun thing. I don't know what, what we have, handguns last time? Because now it's chatter guns in quotes, which I assume means like what? Atomic or atomic automatic weapons. Of some kind, machine guns or something. You yeah. can tell I know a lot about guns. I don't know what a chatter gun is, but yeah, a gun that goes. I think a chatter gun is a machine gun. A, yeah, a gun that goes chatter, 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 chatter. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they have one for the U.S., Germany, British Empire, Italy, United States, and Germany again. Why Germany twice, and why U.S. twice? Anyway, because I guess we carry different guns. But anyway, cool stuff. If you're into that, I thought it's nice little. Uh, and I don't know the difference between a machine gun and a submachine gun. Um. Well, these all say sub. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what that means. So maybe that's the chatter part. I don't know either. Yeah, yeah. The chatter gun, I think, is referencing that they are they're automatic weapons. Yeah, but even handguns can be automatic, can't they? I don't know. I think fully automatic means yet you can hold down the you hold down the trigger and it will fire again repeatedly for you. Okay, which is not a handgun. And how fast that firing is, I guess, varies from model to model. But machine guns are like rapid fire. Is there such a thing as just a machine gun, or is it all submachine guns? Why am I asking you? That, you don't know anything either. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought there was a distinction. <laughs> uh, there could but be. It, I don't know. Maybe machine is 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 short for submachine. I don't there's know. There's like a gun. I'm there's ready. a gun fan right now screaming at us, and I can't hear him. Yeah. So maybe they can write in. Good thing to write in. Tell us about guns, you know, kids. We don't know. You know what I do know about though? What? Thor. Thor. Let's move on to Thor. He doesn't even use guns because he's got a right? hammer and his fists. <laughs> and when is uh yes. super breath <laughs> i know journey into mystery yeah. 94 okay um okay thor and loki attack the human race so this is all about superman and luther really basically uh-huh um and how like okay so there's a uh 
rocket missile out of control. And um, so they call Superman to save them. Mm-hmm. And Clark Kent, like, hears the radio con, uh, you know, and turns into Superman and goes and saves the planet from from the missile. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, um, Luthor makes it so that. <laughs> we'll see. Now, um, Superman's now your analogy is going to per- fail because this doesn't work. Superman's personality gets switched so that instead of being a good Superman, he's now a bad Superman. able will be friends with Luthor. <laughs> yeah, how did Luther do that though? Come on. So what happens is that Loki is in his chains. Remember we last saw him, he's chained up with with uh um Uru Metal chains in Asgard. Um and he uses his mental powers to like s- um swing the hammer around and hit Thor in the back. No, no, the hammer is automatically coming back to Thor uh because of the enchantment. So he creates an illusion to distract Thor, make him turn around. So the hammer will hit him exactly in the right place on the back of his head. The exact spot, Mike, where if you hit somebody right here, you reverse their personality. Do you remember what that spot is called? No. (laughs) Good, because I don't think it's real anyway. Go ahead. Okay, so (laughs) evidently this is a thing that people have. I think. So um, whenever I see you, Mike, if we ever meet, I'm totally going to punch you in the back of the head. (laughs) You'll probably turn evil on me real quick if I do that. (laughs) I would think... But we'll see. So um, Thor goes back to Asgard because he really wants to, you know, see his best friend Loki. And he finds Loki all chained up. He's like, dude, bro, why are you chained up? And he breaks him loose. Superman sets Luthor free from jail. Um, And then the rest of the Asgardians are like, Loki's free. Oh, no. And, And Odin, like, actually attacks him. Odin attacks Loki and starts throttling him. And so so uh, Thor steps in and is like, I'm going to beat my father away from my best friend, Loki, and totally, like, thrashes Odin. So they go together back to Earth, and Odin's like, oh no, I love Earth. What are they doing? And um, they start wreaking havoc. Instead of turning in, you know, like, cars into ice cream this time, though, they, they mess up a dam, they cause natural disasters all over the globe, uh, I think they carry away national monuments like the Taj Mahal. Maybe they make the leaning tower of Pisa stand up straight. I mean, they knock it over <laughs> um, until Thor gets bored making wrecks. So then they start, you know, making illusions of dragons and Godzilla and, and stuff. Um, then people show up and they're like, yeah, we're going to keep on doing this until you make us rulers of the world. So um, take us to the United Nations that we want to be rulers of the world. So they go stand before the General Assembly of the United Nations and like, hey, make us rulers of the world. And if not, um, I forget why, but Thor starts like thrashing around with his hammer until the hammer. Pitfall. What is Pitfall. Yeah. So Thor, Thor falls in a trap door. Yeah. A trap door opens at the General Assembly of the United Nations and Thor falls in and the hammer doesn't go after him. It's like floating over the pit. And then it, it turns upside down and shoots down and hits Thor in the back of the head right at that little switch. You know, and it flicks the switch from off to from, from evil to good. And now he's good again. And Loki's like, what? How did this happen? And the General Assembly of the United Nations, they all take off their masks. They're actually as guardians standing in for the usual, you know, ambassadors. And um, Thor comes out of the hole. He's all feeling better. He throws his hammer at Loki, does hit him in the head, not in the magic exact spot, though. And they take Loki back and chain him up again in Asgard. The end. So 
This month's worst issue worst issue will be <laughs> <laughs> this one probably. Possibly. Spoilers. I mean, come on. Yeah. God. Is is it worse than the all the hammers issue? I don't think it's that bad. Well, the one thing it has going for it is that it gets to destroy a lot of stuff, which is fun. Yes. But the, also the negative thing about that is you're watching him destroy all that stuff going, yeah, that's not going to stay permanent. Right. So they're just going to boink, doink and undo this. And then I'm pretty much wasting my time even reading this story because it's just going to all get undone anyway. Yeah. But you're not wrong. But uh, anyway, that's jumping ahead. Let's talk about how they can just contact Thor because that's like, huh? They just, but it's, it's like they don't even contact him. They just like put it out on the radio. Yeah. Thor, I hope you hear this. Yeah. Thor, listen, please. And they say, call extension 2715, and nobody else in the world does. That number right. That number isn't just the busiest number in the world right now. And also, any panel with Thor holding a phone to his ear just makes me a little sad for some reason. I don't know why. It, it's weird that Thor's on the phone. Right. You're, you're correct. It is very weird. I don't know. Anyway, and then Loki. Yeah, you, know, you, know, you know what would be weirder? What? Than, what would be weirder? Cell phone? Is if he were on his cell phone. Texting? Texting. Can you imagine Thor, god of thunder, walking down the uh, street texting? I can imagine Hercules texting for some reason, but not Thor. Yeah. Like I could yeah. see Thor. I could see Hercules like wearing gold chains and a big and sunglasses and walking down, strutting down the street with his new cell phone or something. But I remember uh, early in the, um, the post Flashpoint era of DC, one of the early issues of Superman. I think it was Nicholas Scott was doing the art because I was like drooling over how gorgeous the art was. And there's a scene of Superman flying on the f- on the cell phone and talking on the cell phone. I thought it was so weird to see that. Yeah. So I don't know. I couldn't figure out a count. How many times have we seen Loki already? Three? I think this is four. Four. Four in Thor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like come up with something else, man. And this is issue 94. So there have been 12 – a third of the issues have been Loki. And it's the same shtick every time. He's imprisoned, but for some reason they continue to let him keep his powers, which don't – Yeah, either he gets out of prison or he can manipulate things from afar. Haven't they figured that out that he can do that? I mean, don't they know that? Is there some I don't know. some way to turn these off? Because just – I did – Chaining him up doesn't do anything when your powers are all like, you know, sight-based or whatever. Right. I did like that Loki was still where we saw him last two issues ago. He's more powerful chains, um, but like there's continuity between last issue and this. Because the last Loki story was last issue, um, <laughs> but there's continuity. He was chained up. He's still chained up. Uh, so Was it last issue? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was. Wow. Um, I also like that he got weak. I mean, I don't know. That's the same thing as like Human Torch's flame just randomly going out when it's convenient. But at least he has a limit of some kind. Thor? No, Loki gets weak when he casts his dragon illusion and passes out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was weird. I wasn't entirely sure the point of that. Like, I don't know. Why, why did he lose conscious? Because he, yes. he was drained of all strength to cast that. I guess. Um, and here we go again, as Guardians knowing things about science. I don't know if I like that, but he knows what a chromosomatic gland is. And Don't you know what a chromosomatic gland well, is? Well, even if I do, I, I have modern education. Why would he care about that, you know? Right, right. He's the, he's the god of mischief. <laughs> it's kind of like the Harry Potter thing. They have magic to do all the things that our science does for us, so they don't even have need for the knowledge. Right. They don't even know what a, you know, a plumber is or whatever. But uh, What is the purpose of a rubber duck? Right. Um, 
And of course, it's just silly because you don't know what's going to happen if you do hit somebody in the chromosomatic gland. It doesn't automatically mean he's going to side with you and be evil. Unless unless you're Loki and you know these things. I guess. Yeah. Um, page six at the top, whenever Thor greets Heimdall. Thor, why have you returned to Asgard? None of your business, Heimdall. You're just the guardian of B- Bifrost, the rainbow bridge which connects Asgard with Earth. Uh-huh. It's just like over-expository dialogue. It's like, no, Michael, you're just the California friend I met online whom I do this podcast with. And I think they've talked about the bridge before already, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's definitely 60s. I do like the next panel, though. Out of my way, you flunky, and then he just punches him. That's pretty funny. Punches Heimdall in the face. Yeah. Idris Elba would not stand for that. No. This is definitely not that Hemdel yet. No. It's just no, a it's dude not. with a mustache. Then he's like, I'm going to tell Odin. Um, it's interesting that they say whenever like Odin gets pissed at Loki and starts choking him out. Before we get oh. there, though, can I say one? Yeah, I'm, go ahead. Um, so on page six, whenever Thor sees Loki, mm-hmm. he calls him my brother. Oh, yeah. And they refer to Odin as our father. Yep. Which is the first explicit reference to them being brothers, yeah. sons of Odin. They, um, they call each other brother. Both of them. Yeah. They've alluded to it. They've made statements that you can infer that. But this is the first explicit use of it. So, yeah. I think it was just the cover of another issue. And one thing is I thought of as I was reading this, at the bottom of that page where it says, Now you are free, loyal brother. Thanks to you, Thor. I value your support. We must stand together against yonder gods who approach us in anger. That camaraderie is how Thor and Loki used to be like earlier in their lives, mm-hmm. which made it feel kind of sad when I read it. Cause we're going to see in the tales of Asgard strip and then other later flashback stories, Thor and Loki used to be buds. And that's how Thor wants it to be. Right. And that's why he so always it's, it's, trusts his brother, even when he probably shouldn't. So I'm, so it's a little bit sad. Yeah. Um, right before Odin throttles Loki on panel two of that page, um, Odin says, do I believe my ears? It was you, Thor, who forged the Uru bonds, which imprisoned Loki. Uh-huh. And I think, I know he heard that Thor had captured Loki, but the fact that he's the one who forged the metal chains, that that's new. And I wonder when he did that. Well, last issue, he was like scraping a hammer shape out of the Uru rock or whatever. So he has the strength to manipulate that stuff, I guess. Yeah. Or at least in the 60s, he does. And then Odin chokes Loki. And then Odin chokes Loki, which one, the panel is awesome. It's kind of yes. got this, why you? Um, you can hear like Loki's head rattling. But then it says right. like, none may raise a hand to Loki while Thor lives. And he punches Odin, or at least knocks him back. And everybody's like, you know, we should take Thor down. And he's like, and Loki's like, you know that even your strength cannot match mighty Thor. So he's talking about Odin there. Wow. Odin at least in an arm wrestling competition in 1963, cannot beat Thor in strength, which I guess is okay. Yeah, that is worth mentioning. That is okay, I guess. I mean, he might have other powers that he could just totally annihilate Thor with. If Thor is the mightiest of the gods, it would make sense that he is mightier than Odin. Odin is old. And Odin is old. And, you know, he could probably turn Thor into a bird if he wanted to beat him or whatever. So he could. When it comes to joining your godlike power with your strength, I'm sure Odin far surpasses Thor. Yeah. But yeah, like just arm wrestling. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and I feel like later Odin would be much more sympathetic to Loki. Maybe I'm, I'm misremembering that my read through. And Odin is a fickle jerk. That could be more Anthony Hopkins. I'm not sure either. Yeah. Um, 
And also, Odin really seems to care about Earth. Like, Loki and Thor go to uh, ransack Earth because Odin loves it. Right, because he wants to take over Asgard, and they're like, no, we won't let you do that. And he's like, fine, we're going to go destroy Earth until you do. Right. Take it hostage. And and maybe it's all the drama that happens later with Jane Foster that sours Odin on it, but later Odin does not care that much about Earth. Well, he must have at some point, because we all know about these gods. So, oh yeah, you know, at some point... He came here in the first right. place, so yeah. He must, have, he must have been messing with us for a while, and then they decided to pull everybody off or something. I don't know why. And then once they actually start harassing Earth, I lose um, things to say about it. <laughs> well, but it's really cool. I mean, they destroy a lot of stuff, which normally Thor would not be doing. So, like you said, the Taj Mahal, uh, he creates global disasters through earthquakes, volcanoes, tidal waves. This is all Thor. He destroys the Eiffel Tower and the Golden Gate Bridge and the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I don't know what. The thing about Loki is he talks about what he did, what he does, but he also says they're all illusions. So I don't know if he's really doing those things or if people are just seeing those things. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, is it really uh, a Godzilla rampaging or is it just an illusion? Or is that building really um, rocking from the foundation or is it just an illusion? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, the point being, what's funny is I do think it's funny how, like, the gods all dress up like UN assemblies, assembly uh, dudes. Specifically from, uh, where they say they're from? From Norway or something like that? Do they say they're from Norway? <sighs> they don't dress like they're from Norway. I know. I think they just are. The UN Assembly has been prepared for this solemn occasion. Yeah, maybe I just misread that. I don't know. I can't find it now. I thought it was a, a nice fake out. Like, as I was reading this, until I turned to that final page 13, I did not know what was going on. And this is like the first time we're getting the fronts of the gods' faces, so... I mean, yeah. they're still not saying who they are. It's just a bunch of kind of like stereotype Moses-looking dudes, but mm-hmm. but they're all involved now. So that was that was Thor. Yeah, and I think like you alluded to, why not just hit Loki in the spot and make him a good guy? That would make life easy, wouldn't it? Right. Oh well, and then they undo everything. The end. They fix it all. Mm-hmm. Um, only two more non-Kirby issues. Oh yeah. So who was drawing that? Still, um, um, Sinat. Sonot, Sonot, Joe Sonot, yeah, he's okay. I don't know if he's like he's definitely not my favorite Thor, but I'm not sure who else he's has oft- done it. He's often an anchor mm-hmm. instead of a penciler. He draws. I'm uh, trying to think like he draws Thor more superheroy than I want Thor to be. I think. Okay, like it's okay. like Superman has a blonde wig on. <laughs> you know, he just looks very yeah nice. And I don't know, Kirby never draws anybody like that. Even maybe even Superman, but. Uh, well, Loki has a very nice evil face. It's pinched. It's sinister. His eyebrows are archy, and it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. I know what's going on, at least. So that's always a plus. Does that take us to Ant-Man? It takes us to Ant-Man, which is me again. Tales to Astonish, number 46. The Ant-Man and the Wasp versus the Cyclops. Um, is this our second Wasp story? Third. No. Yes, third. What was the second one? Um, the second one was the return of the egghead. Oh, the oh, you're right. Okay. So this is our fourth because she also guest starred in that fantastic four issue. Big time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One large featured appearance. there. <laughs> one whole panel. Okay. It's called Ant-Man and the Wasp in when Cyclops walks the earth. And is this also a, this is a, the second of, um, 
whatever month we're in. May? April? Whatever. Yes. Okay. May 2nd. Stan Lee with art by Don Heck. So, we open with um, Ant-Man and the Wasp on patrol like real superheroes do. Unfortunately, just as the Wasp became the Wasp, it turns out that Ant-Man is so good at his job that, like, nothing is going on after Egghead, I guess. Um, And she's bored. She can't be a superhero when there's nothing going on. So they go back to his lab, and he's like, well, since there's nothing going on, you want to go on vacation? She's like, hey, I've always wanted to see the Greek Isles. All right, fine. I'll impress you. I'll get his tickets to the Greek Isles. So you do that in their, uh, you know, normal clothes. They fly American Airlines or whatever, make their way over. And when they get there, they go to charter a boat to go check out some of the various sightseeing things you can see on a boat, I guess. And they find that no one will uh, cooperate, that people have been disappearing on boats lately, so no one's going out now. And that makes um, the wasp's spider sense tingle, and she totally wants to investigate that because, hey, superheroing. Um, And they manage to find one guy who lets them take his boat. He He won't pilot it, but... You can rent it if you want and risk it yourself. So they do that. They go out there kind of floating around, I guess. They kind of knew where they were supposed to go. I can't remember. And this big cyclops shows up out of nowhere, of course, and grabs the boat. And they turn into Ant-Man and the Wasp. And much to Hank Pym's confusion, the cyclops ignores them. And he knows for a fact that a cyclops can see so much better than that cyclops can see. So maybe this isn't a legit cyclops, but we're not sure. But a real cyclops should have been able to see a microscopic Ant-Man and Wasp. But this one didn't. It just took the boat. So they make their way to the island, and they find all the other um, boat captains or passengers or whatever, what have you, that have been attacked by this cyclops. And it turns out, Hank was not wrong, that the cyclops is in fact a robot created by aliens and those aliens created the cyclops to keep people away from their business and they're working with the humans that they've captured to try and create like this sonic mental thing that could take us out and see if you know how weak or how strong we are um before they invade you know that old chestnut so they what do they do they like shoot their sonic ray to see if it just blankets to see if it works or something it actually hurts the wasp and Hank Pym. Hank Pym can tur- turn tune it out by changing the frequency of his helmet. Unfortunately, the wasp can't because her antenna is like stuck on her head when she's shrunk, and there's no like frequency options, I guess. Um, so that kind of takes her out. And then what does he do? He like goes into the Cyclops to try and investigate how to like stop it. Meanwhile, she kind of wakes up and uh, turns full size and tries to help the- guide the. Uh, humans off the island with her she had to turn full size so that they could see her and they she gets attacked they all get attacked by the uh, cyclops because the aliens see her and they go attack cyclops and the cyclops is going to kill her but just in that moment ant-man figures out how to tap into the frequency of the cyclops and he ends up taking control of the thing and attacking the the uh aliens with it and they freak out and they go oh there's some human on this planet that has better sonic mental technology than we do we better get out of here so they run away and the cyclops uh takes all the fishermen and the wasp and ant-man back to shore and then the ant-man programs the cyclops to walk into the water until it's all the way down at the bottom and then to never turn on again the end right um yeah so (laughs) so this was the worst issue of the no just kidding well here's the thing thor i really like the Ant-Man and the Wasp uh-huh. in this story. Uh-huh. 
I think they are doing fantastic things in a terrible story, especially Jan. Doing um, fantastic things? Yeah. yeah. She's a, she is a superheroine among superheroines in this. She loves her job. She's annoyed that she can't do more superhero-y things. And when she finds out she's going to get to do superhero-y things, she is excited. And she she does some really cool stuff in the story. So we can talk about that more as we as we go on here. Um, my first thought when I opened this up was, didn't Reed already face this guy back in that Submariner movie? <laughs> right? Yeah, we've already had a Cyclops. Come on. Yeah. I, I mean, and I don't know about you, but in the same universe. I didn't care about a Cyclops back then, so another one. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I mean, um, I get the idea. We're talking about the smallest hero versus a large giant, so that's kind of a cool idea. Because yeah, I'm surprised they haven't done that before. Like a tiny guy against a super guy. Yeah, because now he's even bigger compared to like how he would be for us. But still, I don't know, Cyclops. Whatever. Yeah, I think. This is not the last giant-sized guy. I think they go against that. But someone goes up against a colossus. I think it's these guys. Um, I love the I, I love know, the opening though. Like you said, memory. they're really cool in this issue, and that shows a lot with this first. After you get past the splash page of the ugly cyclops, yeah, like they're just p- patrolling it, the city. And Ant Man can fly now. Well, doesn't it say he's? Uh, yeah, that is a little weird. Like. At first you think he at just, first you think he he came out of his cannon, but then it looks like he's changing directions and stuff. Well, yeah, the the, the narration says he catapults into the atmosphere, but it's kind of like Superman and Hulk. Maybe they jump, and maybe at some point they have to come down. But while they're in the air, they can zoom around anywhere they want to go. Well, he is very light. Um, maybe if he hits the right wind or something, he can sort of float around a little bit. I don't know. I guess because he says apparently there's no trouble anywhere. Let's return home, and he turns around. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. And you know, in Fantastic Four, he was flying with ants. Mm-hmm. I guess he hadn't read that issue at this point because he's not doing that again, or he does it later. I think. Uh, actually, he discovers the idea of flying on an ant in this issue. So, so we can kind of put this before the uh, Fantastic Four. Oh my story. gosh! So now we got to reorganize all these episodes. Nah. Yeah. This came out afterward. It's their fault. Yeah, it's their fault. This is a flashback story. Um, I like on the bottom of page two, mm-hmm. when the ants use full-on English sentences. Message received. Acknowledged. We are on our way, Ant-Man. He says, thank you, my friends. And they say, do you wish transportation to your rooms? And he says, not this time. I'll go up in the elevator. And I'm just like, I wonder how far a conversation with an ant could go. Could you, like, discover common interests? Could you get romantically involved? Yeah, they haven't done that before, have they? No. This is this is so much more ant talk we've ever seen. I like that they're very proper, too. It's weird. Right? I, I don't know if that's just the, translate, the translator doing that, but... Well, now, this isn't Lee scripting. It's worth pointing out that Hunt, H.E. Huntley is scripting this. And he's done a handful of Marvel stories. We haven't really called attention to the fact that he's doing the script. But, um... Maybe that's why the answer or verbose is because Stanley is not giving them words. Is that all they say, or did they talk more later? I think that was it, huh? That might be it because I think they go to Greece later and there aren't as many ants. I'm sure they're ants in Greece, but they don't use them in the story. It definitely humanizes them, obviously, to have them talking. Now they have personalities or something. Not, not really though. They right? kind of all sound the same. But anyway, <laughs> um, so page three, Henry gets home and he rides up the elevator. And then he says. This is a good time to check my catapult. Make sure it's all working perfectly. And I'm thinking, yes, check your catapult regularly. That's a good thing. But 
wouldn't you check it just before you use it instead of just after? Well, maybe he does both. I don't know. I don't know. It's just like he just now catapulted out and like went around everywhere. I'm glad it was working then. He's also like, he also knows Jan is waiting for him. So that's kind of odd. Yeah. Maybe that's why he did it. Um, speaking of Jan, she's there. She complains that she's waiting for hours. He's like, no, it's just a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, his his little his but, little ant room is getting a lot more um, high tech looking. Yeah, he's got computers all over the walls. Now, when he grows here, he says, "I'll release the growth gas and be right there." And the narration says, "A few seconds pass mm-hmm. as Ant Man miraculously attains his normal human size." That's got to be awkward. Where you're just standing there watching him slowly grow in front of you. Yeah, a few seconds is awfully a long time, I guess. I, I always thought it was instantaneous, and certainly in the movies, it's instantaneous. Very much so. But it's just yeah. like it's just like. <laughs> okay, I'm almost there. And five eleven. Okay, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like Jan here. How she's bored because she is young. She is excited to be a superhero, and she wants to get out there and do the superhero thing. Yeah. And and she hates the, the inactivity. Well, and she just started, you know, and it's already quiet. That's not fair. No, it's not fair at all. Although she should have a conversation with Peter Parker about getting what you wish for. By the way, I didn't realize they had matching costumes, kind of. Uh, yeah, they're like the same aesthetic. They Oh, they both have the same blue. They have the same blue, same black, same red. Like she has a little blue W on her. Uh-huh. I think that's new. Yeah, I didn't notice that they both had the blue, too. But uh, uh, I don't think so. She has the same costume that she had last uh, last couple issues. Okay, I just never noticed it before. Yeah, I do like her look without the pointy hat because she, she's she's not small, so she took off her pointy uh-huh. hat and her hair is just there. But like, I like that look. Like, go out with your hair free in your Watts outfit. That's a cool. But look. what's cool is when with the pointy hat, they both have um, microphones. Oh, that's true. The pointy hat does give her. Microphone. And I don't know if that's just to talk to each other or if that also makes her voice augmented somewhere from something but that's a cool idea but he says let's go on a vacation Mm -hmm. and she is right there with the response a great idea i've always wanted to go to greece the birthplace of modern civilization hellas crete cyprus and it reminds me of did you see this video um they were asking all of the different avengers men to do um marry date sleep with okay for for the chrises Uh like of the three chrises chris pat pratt Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, whom would you marry? Whom would you date? And who would you, you know, have a fling mm-hmm. with? And they're all like hemming and hawing, especially Chris Hemsworth. He's really uncomfortable with this question. Um, but Tom Holland is right there. <laughs> he is right there with an answer. He's got it out of his mouth instantly as soon as they ask him. And they're like, You've thought about this, haven't you? And he's like, yeah. yeah. What was his answer? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, now. gosh. I, I'm sorry. Now we have to look it up. Okay. But it's worth looking up. It's worth looking I'll up. I'll post a video on our show notes if I can find it. Okay, great. Um, and Henry must be loaded. I'm oh, sorry. Or, yeah, I've been, I've been or he's taking time. her money. But Oh. I mean. No, she doesn't have access to her inheritance yet. She, well, that's actually a plot point. Oh, later. okay. Well, he could be. I mean, he. geez, he invents awesome stuff and they come to him for more things, so. I mean, wasn't yeah. he working with the government to create that uh, blah, 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 whatever plot device that one time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he could be actually like kind of rolling in the money. Where does all this stuff come from? Um, I don't know if it's here yet, but throughout this entire issue, she calls him partner a lot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's her purposefully doing that because he tells her 
he's not interested in a romantic relationship. Right. And she was kind of like in her first appearance, that thought bubble, like, well, eventually he'll figure out that he likes me. Stupid boy. But until then, I'll just play along. So now it's like she's almost sarcastically calling him partner all the time. At least that's how I read it. That's a cool way of reading it. I was also thinking about, and I'm going to mention this again whenever we record with Sarah next week, a.k.a. I mentioned this several months ago when we recorded with Sarah. But um, <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Stan Lee has this reputation of being anti-sidekick. Uh-huh. And I think one of the reasons that Janet is used the way that she's used in this is that she is not a sidekick. She is his partner. Which is great. So to be a full-on second superhero, she's got to have, you know, a lot of character and a lot of gumption on her own. So his aversion to sidekicks trumps his sexism. I guess. That's awesome. That worked <laughs> out for her. Yeah, I guess it does. Um, They get to... Greece, and they were told to go find George in the radio shack. And in my mind, they're going to walk down the street, and Janet's going to be looking for the sign with the radio shack logo. Janet and Mike, yes. But, but, but no, it's a shack for operating a radio. Right. <laughs> but I was reading that going, is that where they got the name of their store from? Now, I'm going to uh, send you some pictures I put on Twitter, because I think they'd be good to put in the, uh, in the uh, website, too. Um, the middle row there on page five. Mm-hmm. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Too bad we're on a vacation or we could have a monster hunt. And she says, oh, stop teasing. We've got to find a boat and sail to that island. Okay. So Janet wanted to go on a vacation because she was bored of no superheroing. So, of course, given the opportunity, she's going to want to go superheroing. And the next panel, look at that smile. Yeah, that is awesome. Isn't that delightful? She is amazing there. She is so happy to get to go do this. I like that he teased her, too. I thought that was funny. Yeah, yeah, that's about on vacation. You can't actually be superheroes today. Yeah. And they're going out just before dark. They should definitely do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Then we get into the, you know, oh, my God. Like, how many times do aliens have to come and make sure we're not a threat before mm-hmm. they come thing? But uh, at least the art's nice. Except for on that Cyclops' face. It's not a great Cyclops, is it? No, it's really not. Um. I like the design of the aliens, though, even though you don't really make out what they are exactly. But I guess that's the point. Yeah. And actually, I have something to say about the aliens. Now, we, we do see on page seven mm-hmm. is the first time that Henry gets on a winged ant. Uh-huh. And actually, on page six, Janet suggests it to him. Does she really? Because he says, there's an ant man and a wasp, creatures every bit as bizarre as any little cyclops, right? He says, don't you dare call me a creature. And incidentally, there are ants in the galley, winged ones. It, it's so, so much more handy that he does that now. Or hopefully yeah. continues to do that. Because that catapult thing got old. Um, I have yet to look up, and I keep meaning to look up. So here's me just admitting that I'm not prepared. But like, how many ants have wings, though? Is that really a thing? Have you ever seen a winged ant? I have seen winged ants. Okay. Now... Usually, usually see the ants crawling along in lines. So maybe we just don't notice the winged ants because, you know, they, they're always flying. Um, but I have occasionally seen ants on the ground with wings. Okay. Um, but yeah, so uh, my notes are, hey, look, Mike, aliens. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Yep. It's amazing to me how much they have not delved into the supervillain thing yet. No, they, they really They really haven't. just like the yeah. alien. And I guess it makes sense from a writing standpoint. It's really easy. And we were talking about this in the episode that went live today. We're recording episode 24, and episode 13 is our brand new one. 
they were talking about in that episode how they're like the costume supervillain. Mm-hmm. They're just not really a thing yet. Nope. And now we have Doctor Octopus and Chameleon and a few others. Okay, but mainly in Spider Man. Chameleon, no costume. He his whole shtick is he dresses like somebody else. Doctor, yeah, but he has the mask. He has, at least he has a distinctive. Doctor Octopus was probably wearing his lab outfit in that episode we read. You're he, right. He doesn't right. have okay, like a colorful cape or anything like that. So the vulture. The vulture has a costume. The vulture has a costume, but you could also argue that's no, it's a costume because he puts like feathers on the neck and everything, huh? Right. It's not just pragmatic. So one person so Spider- is putting on Spider Man's gonna be ushering in the supervillainy, I think. I guess. Because we mentioned Doctor Doom, but Doctor Doom is just like wearing what he wears. Well, it's not a special outfit he goes supervillaining in. Well, and it's also medieval armor that could easily fit into all these monster tales that predated yeah, it's the true. stuff. No one's wearing a, you know, Captain Cold sweatshirt or anything yet. Now, we didn't really talk whenever Wasp debuted about how her powers work. And it comes up in the plot here because whenever there's the electrical uh, sound wave, Ant-Man and Wasp are both incapacitated. Except Ant-Man is able to recover because he can tune out the electronic wave patterns. The Wasp can't. Now, just in case anyone out there doesn't know, whenever Janet came to Henry and said, hey, I want to be your partner. He said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. He implanted modified wasp cells in her shoulders and in her head so that when she shrinks, she sprouts wings and antenna. We definitely talked about that. Did we talk about that? Because my question still is, how come Hank Pym didn't do that to himself? Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty handy. It does seem pretty handy, but also seems kind of weird, a little bit gross, and dangerous. <laughs> yeah, especially since he's experimenting on a young girl who just wants to help him out. But And then right. it turns out maybe he shouldn't have done it because then he'd be in the same boat she is in this issue um, and not be able to turn it off. Although she could have turned it off if she grew full size again. But The fact that Ant-Man and the Wasp have varied power sets makes sense from a storytelling comics standpoint. Uh-huh. But it does raise the question of... If you're the characters, why wouldn't you give yourself equal levels of ability? Exactly. Yeah, like her her abilities are better. She can sting people. She can fly. She's got a natural antenna. Mm -hmm. She can do everything Ant-Man can do and And more. more. Yeah. Except tune out a frequency because he has a special helmet and he can talk to ants and she can't, I guess. Or does she? But her, no, because her her hat and her microphone lets her communicate with insects. So there you go. And her antenna, the purpose of her antenna is to be able to communicate with insects. So, wow. Yeah, he really just like made himself worthless. A little bit. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready for the Marvel Cinematic Universe character who's in this story? Yes. Did you know this? The randomest MCU character is one of these aliens. Who? And he's he's named on page nine, Uh panel three. So there are two aliens talking. And um, one says, you advise then that we, uh, the, the lieutenant is talking to the leader, you advise then that we inform our home planet that Earth should be classified as fit to be conquered and colonized. And the leader says, definitely, step on those insects, Kraglin. I cannot abide the things. Mm-hmm. And Kraglin is in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He's one of Yondu's main lieutenants. He's got a really narrow face and he's kind of goofy. Really? Yeah. If you look up Craglin, I'm him up right he's now. there. Craglin. And I love it because we don't get a whole lot of Craglin specific oh, behavior in that's this. That's his loyal su- guy. Yeah, that's this guy. 
Interesting. And um, it could be him. Years. Well, years later, this guy is brought back into the Guardians of the Galaxy comics, looking kind of like the guy from the movies, but with a more of an alienized, yeah, like, blue and has inhuman eyes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's like he and but, Nightcrawler um, had a baby or something. Right. But that's this guy. Wow. It's the weirdest wave. I mean, like a lot of names in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are random, random characters. But this is, to me, the most random. Well, it's funny because he has the best most comical scene in this issue too because i didn't really right. I didn't summarize it but the guy tells craglin to step on them and of course they won't take that so you know she uses her stinger on his foot and he lassos it and uses his strength to trip him and they're like well why didn't you kill those ants like i don't know what just happened <laughs> and then they kind of move on so, from that so he is kind of a kind of a uh goof in this as well now you mentioned the stinger uh-huh. okay so wasp has a stinger here and it's basically a giant needle that's bigger than she is. Uh-huh. Um, she picked up a pin during the fight with Egghead last issue, and she made a joke about, "Oh, I've got a sting now. I'm the Wasp." I didn't expect her to keep it. I passed that. Yeah, issue. I think eventually it actually becomes something she can shoot, right? Like right. Like uh, first it becomes Black uh, Widow uh, or whatever. Yeah, first it becomes a, um, a physical weapon, then it becomes like an energy blast thing. Um, but it's so big, I don't know how she could be, like, carrying it around with her. Yeah, don't ask, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Also, did you know that only female wasps have stingers? Well, that, that uh, you know, jives with what we're doing then. Yeah. It does make me wonder about when Henry Pym becomes the wasp in 2000-something. <laughs> does he give himself a stinger uh, weapon? Yeah, that's probably a real low point. I've never read any of that, but... It's after Jan dies in Secret Invasion. I know, but it's just Henry a goes, really weird tribute. Yeah, and Tony Stark makes fun of him. My wife him. is dead. I'm going to start wearing her dress every day. You know, it just doesn't. He's like, I'm not the one dressed up as my wife in the process of mourning. I'm not the one who should be called crazy in this situation. Right? That's very uh, psycho, literally. Yeah. Oh, except yeah. That, oh, except wow. that's mom instead of wife, but still. Right, but still, it's, it's, it's the object of sexual attraction. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see what else I have. I don't know. It's but kind Janet's of standard fare awesome. after this. Right. Um, I had a crack on. Oh, yeah. Janet goes and gets a bunch of wasps in a wasp's nest and leads them against the aliens. And I was going to make a queen wasp comment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked up queen wasps. And actually, in the wasp colony, the queen wasp is a stay-at-home baby mama wasp. Her job is just to lay mm-hmm. eggs. But all the other females are out there doing stuff so that she can stay home with the kids. Um, so most of the wasps that you see out there being wasps are female wasps. Um, they're just not the queen. This whole sequence is cool because like, I mean, not that, not that Ant-Man being Tony Stark inside this robot Cyclops is also not cool because he ultimately saves the day by taking it over. But meanwhile, wasp is like taking on the aliens by herself. And then she risks her life by becoming full size to help the doctors like get away from the Cyclops. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's about to crush her. I don't remember where they talk about, like, how brave she is or whatever. Or, like, she's like, I knew all along it would be okay. Or he's like, yeah, right, you did. Or, But, yeah, she's yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. On page 13, she says, yeah. uh, don't kid yourself. All I had to do was use the reducing gas and slide right out of the robot's big paws. She has got this thing down. Yeah, yeah. is all is good. Like, considering the first two issues, especially her first appearance where she did absolutely nothing, now she's finally starting to do stuff. I like it. I'm a little bit scared that whenever Huntley stops scripting this, she's going to become less. <sighs> but he does have the next issue, so that's yeah. good. 
Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't have, obviously this can't be Reed's Cyclops cause it's just an alien robot, like Gigantus from the Iron Man story. This Cyclops makes more sense. At least it's a robot. I don't know what the heck Reed's yeah. Cyclops was just a random Cyclops living on this place. Maybe actually the actual Cyclops. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> they never, like, I'm surprised Reed never went back to like figure out what that was all about, but have we had any other alien robots? And we had Gigantus from Iron Man. We've had this guy. We had that one thing from the Hulk story that was an alien that turned out to be a communist robot. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Any other alien robots? Okay. I think that's it. So far. We've had Doom, Doom so, bots. Doom bots. One. So this cover and the terrible splash page did not inspire me with confidence. And I remember kind of drudging through this issue when Lily and I did on Avengers Inspirations. Mm-hmm. But I actually rather dug it. And not the monster, not the aliens, but like everything around them. Them being cool is the best part, yeah. And uh, and Don yeah. Heck's art, which is still pretty awesome. Yeah, it's still really good. All right. Well, I think that definitely puts us over the hour mark. Yep. And we got through three. We did get through three. So send us your emails. Send us your comments in Twitter and Facebook and website and stuff. Yeah. MakeOursMarvel.com. Got the form there. Um, I will put the video we talked about, if I can find it, on there so you can see what Tom Holland thinks about the three Chris's. The Chris's, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all the links you can look for are right there, so give us a shout out. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and until Sergeant Fury replaces the Watcher on the Moon, make ours marvel. Marvel.